ELC Radio. Hey girls, Chris Kane here. I am so excited. Propel Activate is coming to a city near you this fall. I know that this is going to be a unique year. God is doing a new thing. God is doing a fresh thing. And I believe you are going to encounter Him in a fresh way. Don't miss out. Be in the room. Encounter the presence of God and change your world. For more info and details, visit the Elevate Life Church Sacramento app. Love God. Lift others. Welcome Welcome to to Elevate Elevate Life Life Church. Church. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy another Elevated message. Here's our very special guest, Elevate Life Church media leader, Jesse Delgado. Today, I wanted to talk to you guys about thriving in your promise. How many know that we all have a promise, right? How many know that there's promises in God's word that that are for us? That even though right now we might not see some of those promises being activated, that doesn't mean that they're not for you. And I think as we begin to see and we begin to evaluate, and specifically I'm going to use myself as an example, as I begin to evaluate some of the parts of my life, I started to see why certain promises were not being activated. And so some of that journey I want to share with you guys. Because for me, you know, like you heard in the announcements, for me it took me quite a long time. It wasn't like I just accepted the Lord into my heart and then all of a sudden, boom, things just started happening. No, it was actually a very, very, very long process. Several years. I think right now, you know, I'm not good at math on the spot, but over 15 years since I gave my life to the Lord. And some of those promises in my life are just recent, like within the last two or three years, that I've actually been able to tap into. So what's the difference? What's the, what was the difference between that from when I first initially accepted Jesus and was fired up and excited to now? I'm glad you asked that question because that's what I'm going to share with you today. What I want to do is I want to share with you guys a little bit of my journey and some of the things that kind of shaped me as a young as a young man and these are these are scenarios that really started to shape and mold me into the way that I would see life and eventually later to the way that I would see God when I was I don't remember the age but I know it was some of my earliest memories my mother and father got divorced and I remember being a, a young child and you know I went from a household where my father was was in the house to all of a sudden he wasn't in the house. And I I can remember some of my earliest memories as a child. I remember being in the house and thinking that I heard my father there, but he wasn't. But it was like an imagination thing. And I I remember thinking like, oh, man, I, I I think 
you know, I think dad's downstairs or I think he's talking to mom, but he wasn't. And so that scenario of divorce really laid a foundation for me of feeling abandoned. I started to notice myself throughout life really starting to feel like, man, things are not, things are not certain. Foundation was shaky. And that started early on for me in this feeling of abandonment. And it only grew and it only continued to grow. And so that's kind of what I learned from that, that scenario. When I was really young, I don't know, probably maybe first grade, my cousin, I had a little cousin who was a few years older, and he lost his life. And I remember being at his, at his memorial. And we were actually, it was a memorial service where we were planting a tree for him. And I remember sitting there looking at the tree as a young little boy, trying to draw the correlation between him being gone and us planting a tree in remembrance of him. And I remember thinking to myself, I don't understand what everybody's going through. I wasn't mature enough to have the feelings that everybody was feeling. But I remember thinking, like, what's going on? What do you mean that's he's not going to be around? Now, my background, I grew up with a very, very small family. And so I had very limited family members to begin with. So I remember that was something that really caused a lot of uncertainty in me as a young boy. Not knowing, I don't, what, what was it, something that caused it? Was it something I can avoid? What, what happened? I didn't understand. And I remember that laying a foundation of uncertainty. In the first grade, I remember I had this, this situation where I was very, uh, like, you know, the, the five love languages, right? I was very uh, responsive to words. And uh, I remember being in first grade, and the teacher got mad at me and began to, to, to yell at me. And I remember I was fighting back tears. I was like, I was trying really hard not to cry because you know how it is, right? Even when you're young, you know how it is. Like, you start to cry and that's it. Like, that's over, you know what I mean? But, but I knew that I was, I was like, words mattered to me. And she began to, to get upset and, 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 and be mad at me in front of the class. And I was fighting back tears. And I was like, I was trying so hard not to lose it. And then she got done and I like, okay, I got through it. And I remember I made a conscious decision at that moment. I remember, okay, I made it through that. I'm never going to let anybody cause me to feel the way I just felt with their words. I remember making a conscious decision to harden my heart, as the scriptures would call it. Very, very young, first grade, right? Because why? Because I seen a weakness. I seen a weakness that I knew that eventually, if I allowed that to go and check, I could be exploited. I could be taken advantage of. And so I made a conscious decision to not allow that to happen. And I didn't. That was the last time that that happened when I was younger. Second grade. I had a close friend in first grade. And second grade, traumatic situation happened where he got ran over by a car. And uh, he, got, he didn't just get run over by a car. He lived, right? But he actually got stuck underneath the car and then dragged. And so I remember coming to school and this one friend, his name was Steven. And this one friend that I had that we would play and stuff, you know, we would hang out and we'd play on the playground and everything. And I remember coming to school and he was in a wheelchair and he was all messed up. And I was like, whoa, what happened? What happened to him? Now, I never really, 
you know, I, that was kind of my first experience with somebody being in a wheelchair and stuff. So I didn't really know how to act. You know, I just kind of like didn't want to get too close to him. I didn't know like if something hurts or whatever. And so it caused me to kind of cause some distance. But I remember thinking, man, what happened? He was just fine. And then all of a sudden he's in a wheelchair. And I remember that situation really caused me to think, man, that could happen to you. That could happen to you. He was just like you. I remember fourth grade, me and my brother at an at a after-school program type thing. And I remember my brother, he's four years older than me. And uh, I remember a situation where uh, I don't exactly remember how it happened, but I remember a guy pulling a gun on us. And I remember being with my brother, you know, and him with the gun, and I was just stuck. You know, you see movies, you know what it is, right? Like, I'm like, dang, like, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if at this very moment, like, I'm going to watch my brother get shot or he's going to shoot me or what's going to happen. But I just remember that there, there was something that happened inside of me of seeing how quickly your life could end that just changed the way that I view things from that point forward. Growing up, my mom suffered with anxiety. Some of you guys know the story, but, you know, when I say anxiety, like, I'm not just talking like she gets nervous. Like, she was actually confined to her house, anxiety. Like, really, really serious anxiety. And, and she did a very good job at, at kind of keeping it from me and hiding it and stuff like that. But, of course, you see it. And that, I remember that leaving an impression on me as well of fear, of anxiety, of nervousness. And so kind of moving along, sixth grade, uh, I started, sixth grade, I started smoking weed. And I had some older friends and things like that, and, you know, they kind of put me onto it and started smoking weed. And that's where I started to learn how to cope with things, right? Because you look around your environment, you look around things, things are uncertain, all of this, all of this stuff, right? There's, it's so uncertain, it's so, it could be so chaotic at times. It's normal, but at the same time, you're looking for ways that other people do things as well, right? You're just learning from your peers, from the people around you, from your environment. And that's what they did. So I was like, man, yeah, of course. Let's do it, right? So then I started to learn, like, oh, okay, this kind of, I, I kind of like this feeling. This kind of makes me get in a different frame of mind and kind of puts me into a, another category where I have some community over here. We all smoke weed together. You know, I'm young, so people are kind of looking at me in school like, oh, man, you know, there's some prestige that comes with it. Like, okay, he's over there smoking weed, you know, blah, blah, blah. He's a cool guy, you know. And so I started learning how to cope with things. Seventh grade, I remember um, almost getting arrested. We, me and my close friend, Justin, uh, we grew up together. His mom's was like good friends with my mom. And as, as little as babies, we were playing on the floor together and stuff and close, close friend. And. I remember we robbed this guy in, in seventh grade, and uh, it was like 80 bucks, you know, but to somebody in seventh grade, that's a lot of money. So he was like, he's like, you know, like, you know how sometimes kids, like, they're like, oh, man, look what I got. You're like, oh, yeah, that's cool, man. You know, like, so I remember we robbed this guy, and I remember they called the police, and, you know, it was this whole big old thing. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, man, like, there's consequences for actions, you know, I was, of course, I was terrified, sitting in the principal's office, not knowing, like, what's going to happen, you know, and I remember 
that moment thinking, man, like, okay, it's one thing to do crime and to do the stuff that you're trying to do, but you got to be smart about it because, you know, because there's, there's consequences. And so that kind of led to, to a, a foundation of, of being a little bit more slick with the dirt that I was doing because I realized, oh, man, can't get caught, can't get caught, right? So fast forward a little bit later, 16 years old, my best friend winds up in a situation where he winds up going to prison for six years at 16. He's tried as an adult. And um, that was a really humbling situation, too. It didn't quite wake me up, but it was the nudge that kind of started to push me into that direction. Because what he got arrested for, I, I should have I been with him at that moment. We were so close, we did everything together. And I remember that night that he went and committed that crime. He basically... He went up north and you know, robbed some people and stuff like that. It was, he was just on a little spree or whatever. And I remember that night is a night that I wasn't able to like, I wasn't able to go with him. You know, it was just like, hey, he's doing his thing. He called up another homie and they, they went and did their thing. And I never forgot that because I remembered, man, I could have been in that situation too. That could have been me, six years of my life. You know, I wrote him, and we stayed in contact and, and all that stuff. And, and still, even to this, this day, he's doing very well now and, you know, got a family, and he's doing very good. But it was a, it was a situation, 16 years old, I, was thought, I thought to myself, wow, like, man, it started to get real, if you will. Started to be some, some heavy consequences. And, of course, there were other things that happened along the way and, and, and so forth and so forth. So what is the point of this? The point of this, the point of why I'm bringing up these stories and why I'm telling you this is because here's the truth. You are no different than me. Your, your stories are no different than my stories. Maybe it looks different in the details, but here's the point. Your stories shaped you. Your stories, your situations, your hurts, the people that took advantage of you or the people that you couldn't trust or the people that told you things or whatever the case may be or the situations where you hardened your heart, it's all the same. All of these stories, we all have stories that, that if we look back, we could go, man, that, that changed me right there. That story changed me right there. You know, everywhere I looked growing up, there was a struggle, right? There was a financial struggle. There was a physical struggle, emotional struggle, relational struggle. You know, some of these things like, you know, my father not being in my life, I didn't really understand I didn't really understand that like I do now until much later in my life because everybody and all my friends had the same thing. So it wasn't like you don't know what you don't know, right? Like it was a situation where it was just normal. It was dysfunctional. It was dysfunctional. Dysfunction seems normal. You know, the most dangerous kind of dysfunction is the kind that you think you can manage. Because we're all living in a situation where we all have these experiences, where we've all been told certain ways on how to survive, on how to, on how to move through life. But really what it is, is it's just dysfunction. We say things like, I'm just this way. This is just how I am. This is how I get. This is how I feel. But really all you're doing is you're just trying to manage your dysfunction by giving it a home, giving it a place to live. It's okay, you can clap. I like it. So here's the thing. 
when I looked back, I started to see, hold on a second. Some of this dysfunction, I was actually giving a place to live inside of my life. Instead of calling it what it was, dysfunction, I was treating it like a friend. And not only, not only like a friend, but I was actually proud of it. Nah, I don't, this is, nah, this is just me. You know what? I don't know. Nah, I just don't open up my heart. That's just not how I roll. You know, this is how I do it. No, nah, I just don't. You know, I don't I don't cry. You know, what I'm saying I'm not trying to cry. Blah, 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 blah. All it is is dysfunction. Our experiences have given us a foundation. To base our choices. Now, this is something that I really want to. That I want to highlight. Because it's our it's our experiences that have begun to shape us and show us and tell us who we need to be and how we need to be it. You know, Pastor Sergio talks a lot about us being a three-pronged being. This is, this is a powerful, powerful revelation. Um, because really when you understand that you're a three-pronged being, you can kind of understand a little bit more what's going on with, with you, with your struggle, with your surroundings. You, it starts to make sense. Oh, I get it now. We have the flesh. The will of the flesh is to gratify. That's it. I forgot Pastor Sergio's. It's like eat, sleep, entertain, have sex, and something. There you go, right? It's the, the will of the flesh. See, each, each one of these prongs, if you will, of your existence has a will, right? It has a direction that it wants to go. That if you leave it alone, it, it will just gravitate and go towards that direction. You don't have to train it. You don't have to show it. You don't have to educate it. You just let it loose, and that's where it's going to go. It's like a magnet. And the will of the flesh is simply to be gratified. That's it. As long as it gets gratification, it's good. That's its highest priority. The soul. The will of the soul is to survive. Pastor Sergio explains the soul as your mind, will, and emotions. You know, even in, even in science and in, in studying the, the human brain, people will, will tell you about this, this need to survive and how it's hardwired in the, in the front portion of our brain. And it drives us and it directs us and it, and it leads us into ways to survive. Oh, the stove is hot. Don't touch it. That's how we learn, right? But see, there's other situations that start to come into our life where this relationship didn't work out because you opened up your heart. Don't open up your heart no more. Or how about the last time you got vulnerable, somebody took advantage of you. Don't get vulnerable. Oh, the last time you got into a community, people talk bad about you. Don't get into a community. See, what begins to happen now is, is that this soul begins to override our choices. It begins to dictate where we're going to go and how we're going to do it. The spirit, the will of the spirit is to thrive. Now, it's funny, you know, like I, ever since I love illustrations, you know what I mean? Like, because it just, they never leave your mind when pastor gives an illustration. And, you know, he brought Eddie Cobb up here and Miguel and, and some, yeah, I forgot who else it was. Willard? Okay, little Jay, right? He's done it a couple of times, but the, the, he, he'll say like this, you know, this person right here is the, is the soul, you know what I mean? And it's Eddie Cobb, you know what I mean? Eddie Cobb, put a little oomph on it, right? And then you got like little J, you know, this is the spirit. And he'll kind of draw this illustration on how 
you know, how basically, you know, the, the spirit is, is, is small and weak because we don't build it up. And that's exactly, that's exactly what's happening. See, the will of the spirit is to thrive. But the will is very, very small because the spirit is very, very small. The will of the soul is to, is to survive. It's to make sure it maintains. The, see, see, the soul is trying to go just as far as it needs to go before it encounters any kind of risk. Just as far as it needs to go. Okay, this is good enough. Why? Because it's trying to keep you safe. And your experiences over life and throughout time have begun to tell you what you believe to be the truth. So the spirit's like, no, man, take a risk. And the soul's like, Hold on a second. Let's think about this. If I take a, right? So what I want to point out with that is I want to point out the soul for most of us is running our lives. And for me, the difference between coming into starting to see some of those promises being realized in my life was actually the soul being the driver's seat in my life. Even while being a believer, even while accepting Christ. Because, see, once you accept Christ, that doesn't just remove the soul from the driver's seat. That's actually something that you have to do. Now, the good thing about it is, is that you're not alone, right? You got the help of the Spirit. But if the Spirit is not built up, then the Spirit is not going to eject the soul from the driver's seat. It's a really, really important distinction to make because... For many of us, we have very, very good reasons why the soul is driving. Very good reasons. And if we were to share these reasons with one another, we would probably find that we got them same reasons. So we'd be like, yeah, I feel you. You are right. I don't like to do that either. I hear you. I don't blame you for that. Right? We love to, to validate the soul. Why? Because it gives us comfort, man. Hey, you're not alone. And you know what? I'm not even, I'm not even saying that that's a bad thing. That's not a bad thing, you know, to, to, to have common experiences and to share. But here's the thing. When it stops you from thriving in your promise, it is not a bad thing. It is now a deadly thing. Listen, we talk a lot about identity. And I remember hearing that. And, I, I, you know, it sounds like you know what it means. Like, I'll be like, they'll be like, yeah, you know, identity in Christ and stuff like that. I was like, yeah, that's good. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Christ, you know, he's, he's running the ship, right? But I didn't really know what that means. Let me, let me give you a, a definition of what an identity of crisis looks like, okay? An identity crisis occurs when you don't know which will to serve. So, for example, you have your flesh. It's gratifying. It's, it's doing what it wants to do. You have your soul. It's your mind, will, and emotions. It's telling you how you should guard your life. It's telling you how you should make your choices. I don't know if I want to do that. You know, for an example, one, one thing that Pastor Sergio talks a lot about, you know, like praying in the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues. Ah. Soul's like, hey, that's weird. That's weird. Hey, listen, yeah, it's weird. I don't know how it works. I know it works. I don't know how it works. I really don't. I mean, honestly, and I, honestly, that's about as far as I'm trying to go with it because I've had my struggle with it too. 
Like, man, I'm not trying to do this just to look like this, right? Just the soul starts kicking in. Oh, but, you know, people think I'm over here trying to be all holier than now. I ain't trying to do that, so therefore I'm not going to do this. Starts making, making excuses. Praying in the Holy Spirit, that's a great example. If you can allow the Spirit to be built up and pray in the Holy Spirit, you'll start to see areas in your life that will start to thrive. Because that's what the Spirit wants to do. That's his objective. Like, it, it, it's, it was really hard for me, you know, coming from a person, right? Like, we all say, you know, if I said, everybody raise your hand if you got trust issues, I'm pretty sure we'd all raise our hands. Because you don't go through this life and not have some sort of trust issues. So when we step into the spirit realm and we start hearing these things of God and we start hearing these promises and, and he starts asking for trust, we're like, yeah, but. Yeah, woo, good, miracle, come on, Lord, do it, but I'm not there yet. You know, how many times you heard people say, and I know they say it jokingly, but I also, too, believe it's a reflection of, of their heart, is they'll say, you know, I'm not that saved yet, Right? Or, you know, like, like there's some sort of varying degree of being a Christian, right? Like, like oh, you know, like, okay, you're going to graduate tomorrow and, and start being, you know what? I mean, here's the thing, right? Even though we joke like that and we say that, the reality of it is it's pointing to a truth. And the truth is, is that we don't believe that there's, we don't believe that we can step into certain things in our life until we actually think that we can. But the Spirit's saying, no, I want to thrive in your life, and you can that's it. But the soul's like, hold on a second. You don't know. You've never done this before. You didn't grow up in church. You don't know how this is going to work out. Wait a minute. Just observe. Just watch. See what happens. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'm going to just play the background over here. And then you start watching people, right? And then, look, this is a funny thing. This is just a side note, but this happened to me. Is I would say, okay, let me just play the cautious route. And I would stay over here and I would just watch. And then I will start seeing people thriving. And then what would I do? I'd talk mess about them. Ah oh, man, that ain't real. Nah, come on, man. That dude's over there. He's faking. I know that dude, right? Come on, man. You know? Right? Why? Because really you're just trying to, it's the soul kicking in. It's the soul kicking in. Let me get through this because I got, I got, let, let me show you this in Romans 7.15. Even Paul understood this. He said, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate to do, I do. That's heck of complicated. that. I love Paul, man, because sometimes I talk like that, too. So I love it when he, I'm not the only one. Thanks, Paul. So I do not understand what I do. Even he is saying that there's a wrestle that is happening with his soul. Let me give you a quick way to determine who's running your life. Take a look at your habits. Your habits will tell you who's in control. That's it. Just simply. Just look at your habits. What habits are you doing? When something bad happens, do you gravitate to a certain direction? Okay, there you go. That's who's running your life. We, sometimes we like to, you know, and especially my, I'm talking to myself, sometimes I like a nice, like, crazy way to put it that's like, wow, that's just profound. And God's like, no, your habits will show you who's in control. Survival has become our way of life. All of us, not just me, all of us. Survival has become our way of life. The number one thing that we're looking out for in our life is ourselves, is our survival. Listen to this scripture in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Right? Beautiful scripture. Powerful. Beautiful. But let me tell you one thing that's going to get in the way of 
of fulfilling that scripture, of being obedient to that scripture? Your experiences. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. What else do you have if you don't have your understanding? Think about it. What else do you have? All you have is his understanding. We have to get to a place where we're willing to submit and we're willing to forfeit and we're willing to just lay down our own understanding. Look at this is the way that I've seen life. And I'm laying that 100% down. And all of a sudden, I become as somebody who never has lived life. And all I'm doing is I'm trusting what you're saying about life, God. If you say it in your word, then I'm just taking that that's what it is. See, that's the way that we build up our spirit. That's the way that we allow the spirit to take control. And that's the way we start to thrive in our lives and in our promise. Let me give you some, some indicators. These were for me, and I'm sure there's a whole bunch more, but maybe you could relate to some of them. These are some indicators that you're surviving. It's hard for people to love you. Survival, man. If it's hard for people to love you, it should, here's the thing. It should be easy for people to love you. If it's like pulling teeth, it's like, man, like, <laughs> then that'll, that'll give you a clear indication that you're in survival mode. You don't know how to properly receive compliments. That's a problem. You're in survival mode. Why? Because you don't trust them. Why? Because you don't want to believe that somebody says something good about you and then realize later that they were actually lying or saying it for some other reason. Survival. But see, that's an important, that's an integral part of, this, of, of building up the spirit. You got to know how to receive compliments. When somebody goes and goes, man, that was powerful, man. Great word. That touched my life. Which I hope all you say to me, but I'm just saying. <laughs> that's important because that builds up the spirit. That lets you know, oh, man, I trust that word. You know, that's, that's part of having a relationship is you trust what the person who you trust says about you and says to you. Survival. You constantly feel left out. I know this because this was me. Everywhere I went, I felt left out. Don't matter who I was with. I even felt left out in my small little family. <laughs> like, it, I just felt left out all the time. Like, man, y'all leaving me out. You know, like, I, I secluded myself. Constantly feeling left out. Constantly feeling misunderstood. Nobody gets me. Nobody understands. You don't understand my struggle. You don't understand my pain. You don't understand how that, how that affects me. I remember people coming into my life early on in, in my, my walk with Jesus, and they were trying to be there as a counsel for me. And I remember them telling me things, and I remember specifically saying, you don't understand. You don't know what that's like. You didn't, you didn't have that. And I remember I would disqualify them. What are they trying to do? They're trying to build up my spirit. That's what they're trying to do. They got no other reason but to just, they're just trying to build up my spirit. And here I am with my soul going, nope, nope. What are we doing? We're surviving. We're surviving. You're always looking for ulterior motives. Always looking for an agenda. Ah, oh, what's this person over here? Oh, okay, you know, they must be just trying to do this. Or he's just, he's just saying what's up to me because of this or that or et cetera, right? We talked about that. You anticipate the bad. You know, for me, sometimes when too much good would happen, I'd actually just put myself like something bad about to happen. Like, I'm like, oh, man, Lord, it's been good. Like, okay, get ready for something bad because that's just been my life. That's been my experience. And instead of falling from here, I'd rather fall from here because either way I'm going to fall anticipating the bad. Listen to this one. This one's interesting, but it was true for me. Celebrating progress with relapsing. Listen to that. Like, 
I remember there would be times where like, man, you know what I'm saying? I quit smoking weed. I'm doing so good, man. I'm about to go get a blunt. <laughs> I remember that happening. Like, I'm celebrating progress. Like, what is, what is that? Why, is, why am I saying that? Self-sabotage. Maybe some of you have heard of that. It's a real thing, self-sabotage. We will allow ourselves to get so good before we now have to sabotage ourselves. Why? Because of the way we view ourselves. I can't possibly be that, so let me just go ahead and do it for you. Let me just go ahead and, and, and cause myself to stumble and trip before I stumble and trip. Because it's going to happen anyways because nothing good is inside of me. Survival. Nothing good is inside of you? Really? Is that what the God of all creation is saying about you? Is that what the spirit inside of you is saying? No, he's not. Survival is stopping you from thriving in your promise. Last one, you find it hard to love yourself. Same thing. Survival. Why do you find it hard to love yourself? Because you're trying to protect yourself. You believe that the best way that you can protect yourself is to not love yourself. Think about it. The best way to protect yourself is to reject yourself. That's not the spirit. It's our experiences that have determined our truth and that continue to try to define our truth. Listen to this scripture in Romans. It says this, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Good, pleasing, and perfect will. Good, pleasing, and perfect will. Why are you trying to survive? Why are you trying to survive, Jesse? Why? Maybe because you don't understand his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And maybe if you did, maybe you wouldn't have to survive so much. I want to talk to you about now taking hold of the promise. I think, I think we get that, right? We all understand, man, survival mode. It's bad. It's really, really difficult to break because it's one of the things that you think is actually true. Like you actually have situations, emotions, you have records of this being true in your life. See, I could tell you something or the word of God can tell you something, but you don't really have records of that yet. So that's still a little questionable. So you put that over here in the questionable pile, right? But the sure, the truth, the, the, the real, no, you know that. That's over here. That's your experiences. You know that. You can recall when it happened, how it happened, what it did to you, and where you're at. It's right there at a moment's notice. Boom. That's why it's so powerful. Because you actually have a record of it. You know, there's all kind of studies that are done on, on just the power of thinking and belief. And we see it in the scriptures telling us to believe and, and have faith and stuff like this. But you can actually recall traumatic situations in your life that can cause a physical illness in your life through thinking upon that traumatic situation. And that's what we're walking around with. That's what we're carrying. Those traumatic situations that in a moment notice, they can just pop up and be like, ah, square one, back to zero. And you're like, dang, dang, I was making progress, right? I was doing good. It's a traumatic situation, experience. Listen to this story. This is a powerful story. I love this story. I love this story. It's in, it's in Mark. It's, it's, it's the lady with the issue of blood. This is what they call it. <clears throat> and uh, it, it, let me read you the scripture. It says, and a woman was there. Let me see. And a woman was there 
who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. So what do we have here? Jesus was actually in this crowd because he was heading to another part of town. So he was on his way to go and attend another meeting, if you will. And there's a crowd there, and he's doing his thing, and then he's getting ready to go. And then all of a sudden, this event happens, and he feels power come out from him. And he's like, yo, okay, somebody touched me, right? What happened? Right? But what's interesting is, is that, first of all, just some context, he was getting ready to go somewhere. He had something on his mind. He was getting ready to go do. But this situation stopped him. And he act it actually drew attention to him for him to take notice of it and be like, hold on a second. Something happened here. Now, the interesting part about this, and I've, I kind of learned this through studying some of the original language in, in Hebrew and stuff like that and some of the culture, is, is that what most of the time this story is kind of told like is like this woman was super desperate and she was like, you know what, man, let me just touch Jesus because, you know, he'll get healing. And then she just reached out and grabbed whatever she could grab and then all of a sudden she was healed. But actually, actually it wasn't that simple. Actually, what happened is it was a lot more intentional than what looks like at first glance. See, what this woman was doing, actually, she knew what she was doing. She actually knew what she was doing, and she knew what she was grabbing a hold of. Let me show you. Malachi chapter 4, verse 2. But to you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. Okay, where's the correlation? Here's the correlation. First of all, that's, that's what they call a messianic prophecy. A prophecy that was in the Old Testament was, that was going to foretell the coming Messiah and some of his attributes and what to look for in the coming Messiah that would save the world and die for the sins, right? This whole thing. But the interesting part is that in the original language, the word that is used there that the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings, that the word for wings is the same word for the tassels on the garment that Jesus was wearing. If you notice the, 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 the Hebrew people, they'll have that prayer shawl. And, and there's a commandment in the Old Testament that, that tells them to put tassels on the four corners of their robe. And, and what those four corners were called were called wings. So she understood that, listen, she's been going through this. She's been surviving. She's been seeing all of the doctors. She's been trying to get her healing. She's been looking and looking and looking, and nothing has, nothing has actually happened she's only gotten worse but then she hears of this man Jesus coming into town and she knows that she knows this prophecy because they would have known these prophecies these were common they would have taught them over and over and over again and she would have known and drawn this correlation maybe maybe that's what it's talking about the wings it's the same word it's the same word maybe if I touch his wings there's healing in there and guess what she was right now during this time 
what's, what's really interesting, some more context about it is, is that she was, she was, uh, she was considered unclean. She, was, she had an issue with blood. So she wasn't allowed to be in public places, let alone touch any kind of teacher. That was, she, could, she could have literally been put to death for it. That was the law at the time. Three distinctions that I want to draw from this story, this example in Scripture, when we're, as, we're, as it pertains to taking hold and thriving in the promise. You won't take a risk for what you don't believe. See, for many of us, our experiences is what we believe. For me, man, my experiences is what told me life was. You won't take a risk for something that you don't believe. You just ain't going to do it. The soul won't let you. The soul is going to fight you tooth and nail from trying to get you to believe that and let alone taking any kind of action. But here's the thing. The spirit cannot grow unless you do. She would, not, uh, she would not able to have been healed unless she took that action, unless she first believed. She didn't have to know it. She didn't have to experience it beforehand. All three other people came and touched that. She could have been wrong. She could have been making a, a bad correlation on scripture. She could have been, oh, I hope this is what it means. But it wasn't clear. It was just the same word. But what she did is she used her faith. And what did Jesus tell her? It's your faith. It's your faith that did it. Because you believed my word and you believed I was the guy that it talked about. Your faith made you whole. Your faith made you whole. Your faith healed you. Immediately it happened to her. And I believe too that it can happen for you as well. But first you got to believe. Get a vision for your life. Believe. Your faith can heal you. That's the second part of it. You have to understand that what actually lives inside of you, this faith, right? So here we have the experiences, right? And then over here, here we have the spirit, and part of the spirit is faith. Faith is, is the application, right? Faith is, the, is, is your healing. Faith is your evidence. That's actually what it means. The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. The definition of faith according to the Bible. The substance, substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen, faith, faith, experience. I know it because I've seen it. It's happened to me. I could recall emotions and feelings that have, that have told me this way. I've seen it over and over and over again. I've seen it happen with my friends, family, 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 so forth. That's, that's my evidence. No, faith is actually your evidence. Faith is your evidence to, to grab hold of your promise and to actually begin to see some of these things fall off of you. Some of these cycles that continue to just show up in your life over and over and over again. Trust me, I know I'm talking to myself. I know, like I've seen these cycles continually. I might break them for a little while and then they'll come right back around. Because it's not healed. Because there's no faith. The faith is the evidence. The last thing about that passage that I want to draw to your attention is that it's going to be a fight. It's going to cost you something. But this, lady, this lady risked her life. She risked her life. Like in that day and time, she, she could have been dead. Like if she was wrong, if she was wrong, she was done. She was done. That's it. Get this woman out of here. Go stone her or whatever because she should not have done that. Think about that. What caused her breakthrough? She's seen the promise. She took an action, but not just any action, an action that risked it all. 
I'm going all in because I see it and I believe it. And even if I don't, even if it doesn't materialize, I see it one way or another. That's it. And I submit to you that that's exactly what it's going to take for us. There's areas in your life. I know this for a fact. There's areas in your life that remain untouched by the spirit. I don't know, man. I don't know if I want to open up that one. I don't know if I want to go down that road. I don't like the way that makes me feel. I don't like that what that does to me. I don't know how I'm going to cope with that. There's those areas. And listen, listen. If you get anything from today's message, and I promise you, this is the heart of God. This really is the heart of God. He just wants you free from that. That's it. My son, my daughter, listen. Listen, I just want you free from that. It's too heavy. It's too burdensome. It's weighing you down. It's stealing from you. It's robbing from you. It's causing you to go in circles like they did in the desert in the wilderness, right? Like all of this stuff is just happening. You're carrying it. It's too much. It's too heavy. You were never designed to carry it to begin with. His heart is saying, listen, just give it to me. Just give it to me. I know it's scary. I know it's hard. I know you don't know exactly how this is going to turn out. But just give it to me. You know, for most of us, including myself, it's fear and it's hurt. Areas that we can see some of the most hurt in our life have actually caused us the most fear in life. See, all these little things, crooks, thieves, right? Like, they're all, they're all friends. I, I told you, like, I grew up, my mom, with anxiety, severe anxiety. Like, severe, severe anxiety. Like, I've never known anybody with that kind of anxiety. And I seen it. To me, it was normal. But they had, th- th- that was, that was, they were just companions to depression, anxiety, fear, guilt, shame, unforgiveness. They're all close friends. And they all work together. And they're all stopping one thing in your life from thriving in the promise of God. That's it. You know, the scripture is very clear about who our enemy is and is very clear about what he came to do. It's not a secret. Three things. Kill, steal, destroy. That's it. That's it. Kill, steal, and destroy. And so all of these things, all of this, all of this stuff is really just to accomplish three things, and it's those three things. It's killing. It's killing you. For some of us, like we talked about before, it, it actually physically is. Like people are getting ulcers and people are having mental breakdowns and people are, you know, suffering with a lot of stuff that is because they're carrying stuff that they weren't supposed to carry. Like it, it physically actually is killing you. It's bad on the body. They call it the silent killer, right? Something like that. These things, this is toxic. Destroying. Destroying your destiny. Listen, this is another reason why so we know that, okay, experiences, taking hold of the promise, why do, we need to, why, why do we need to actually thrive and take hold of this promise? Because here's the thing, and I'm going to get into this in closing, but there's, there's work. Now, when I say work, for most of us, we kind of have a bad connotation with that, like, ah, work, you know? There's destiny that is to be released through your life. There is lives that are supposed to be changed because of your life. 
There's impact that is supposed to be made. There's people that are supposed to be encouraged. There's gifts that are supposed to be ignited all in your life. Your life is not meant to just simply survive. Like if you're so focused, and, and, and I'm talking to you, but I'm talking to me. If we're so focused to just survive, then how could we possibly have any other time to help raise somebody else up? And now if we know, according to the scriptures, that we were called to win the loss, to make disciples, but we're over here sitting here worried about ourselves and just how to protect ourselves in a little bit of bubble, you know what I mean? How are we actually going to do that? We're not. We're not. And here's the thing. For many, many years after receiving Jesus, I didn't either. It took me a really, really long time to actually understand, man, why am I not seeing some of these results? I believe the word. I'm studying it. I see it. I see it in other people. But why am I not seeing it in my own life? I'm surviving. There's a destiny that is inside of you that is waiting to be released. You know, there's a scripture that even says, it's in Romans, that says, that the world is waiting for the sons and daughters to be revealed. See, it's a revelation. Sons and daughters, right? Like, we think of sons and daughters, right? It's not just making and reproducing sons and daughters. What it actually is doing is it's creating a revelation that's giving birth to a revelation inside of a people that is giving birth to another revelation inside of another group of people and continuing, and continuing to go forward. See, that's actually the plan of God. Is, is that he creates sons and daughters that go and create sons and daughters. Right? You hear Pastor Sergio, he'll say disciples that create disciples. But are we just survivors creating survivors? Where's the thrive? Where's the thrive? Because when you read the scriptures, that's the life he came to give us. A life of abundance. A life of thriving. You know, it's interesting. This is just a side note, but... And I'm not trying to throw stones or anything like that, but it's just a, it's just an interesting observation. As believers, we we have this instruction, we have this truth, we we have this helper, this Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. And so, if anybody, we're supposed to be the ones that kind of get it. Fair enough, no problem. Sometimes we all we all have experiences, but what's interesting for for just not saying in here, but at large, for many of us, we'll find people outside of the household of faith that are living the lifestyle that the scripture says we're supposed to live, and we'll champion them. And we'll be like, oh, man, this dude over here, you know, Dr. Such and Such, or this guy over here who's killing it in life. And they're not, they're not, they don't have the word. They're not, they're not following God. You know, I mean, I don't know what they're doing behind the scenes, but they're not presenting the gospel. They're not presenting the truth. But yet we, we appreciate and we, we champion them. Oh, yeah, man, this guy's been helping me out. But what is he doing, really? Like, think about it. What, is he, what, what are they, he or she or whatever? Like, what are they really doing? All they're really doing is tapping into a truth that you haven't quite realized. But you got it. You have the manual. You have the instruction. Now, listen, there's nothing wrong with, you know, appreciating people, whether they serve God. Like, good is good, right? We, we know, according to the scripture, all good things come from God. Right? Amen. So, you know, it's not a, a matter of like, I'm not trying to cast stones at nobody doing good works in the community or doing good deeds or helping save people or, you know, that's that's good. Like, hey, praise God. Praise God. But as a household of faith, doesn't it seem a little backwards 
that sometimes we're just over there championing them when really we have everything to be that exact same thing. Like really, like we have the whole instruction manual to actually live a thriving lifestyle that, that demonstrates the glory and power of God to other people that other people say, man, yo, that dude's doing some great things for God. Right? I mean, it just, it's an interesting observation. I'm like, man, nothing wrong with people doing good things and doing good deeds and stuff. That's all good. Like, praise God. But it's just interesting how a lot of times we could take a very passive route as believers. We have, we have the, you know what I'm saying? I don't know what. We have the juice. What? <laughs> we have the sauce. Who said sauce? <laughs> the barbecuer. <laughs> we got the sauce. Amen. We got the sauce, right? So here's the thing. One of the biggest things that was keeping me from thriving in God was not being able to get past my experiences. I'm here to tell you with 100% certainty, your experiences have lied to you. I know that for a fact. Your experiences have lied to you. And if we're basing our life on our experiences, we are living a very dangerous life. We are entrusting the preciousness, the righteousness of God into hands that aren't fit for it. Now, you might ask, because I probably would ask that, how can you say that for sure? And I would say, look at your habits. Look at the areas of your life that maybe you wish were thriving and ask yourself, could it possibly be my experiences that are stopping me from actually living a life that's thriving? We've been programmed to hoard our resources. That's what survival is. We know that that's a pretty sure way to survive. Guard our resources. Hoard our resources. Our emotions, our mind. Well, check this out. There was actually a study that was done. There was a study that was done that showed that, that people uh, are more motivated to not lose $20 than they are to gain $20. There's more motivation in your life to actually not lose something than there is to gain something. So I realize this message, maybe for some, I don't know, I'm preaching uphill. This is a message that is going uphill because it ain't easy. I'm going against the grain with this one. But here's the thing. See, that, that, that study is actually, you can look it up, and there's tons and tons of stuff. It's actually called loss aversion. And it's, it's basically loss aversion is, is a motivation to, to not lose anything, to not lose, you know. Like you, you see people sometimes, they're hoarders, and they hoard stuff. You know, like my mom, man, sometimes, God bless her, she was just here. Think, uh, she left, so she might. But she would, like, all kind of knickknacks and stuff. Like, there wasn't a wall that didn't have, like, 50 million, like, all kind of stuff on it. You know what I'm saying? Like, she just hoarded stuff. And, and some of us do that even with our emotions. Some of us do that with our life. I'm not going to give myself over all the way because I'm still trying to protect what it is that I have. Loss aversion. If you're, more, if you're more motivated in your life from what you can lose than what you can gain, your soul's running your life. Think about that. If you're more motivated, if what drives you to action the most in your life is loss, is like fear of just losing, then what you can actually release, 
what you can step into, what you can grow into, what you can discover, what you can experience, who you can impact, who you can help, how you can be a blessing, what type of miracles that you could see, what type of business you can start, what type of creativity. Like, if your motivation is more a fear of loss, we say it, right? We serve a God of abundance. We say it. I say it. But how many of us actually live it? What could you lose with the God of abundance? What is it that you could possibly fear losing with the God of abundance that he couldn't supply 10,000 times over? What type of emotion? I remember this. Let me just get vulnerable. I remember when first dating Jessica. I remember, thank God I had PSL because I needed still to be walked through some things. But I remember, I remember being fearful because, see, up until Jessica, I never really gave my heart to a woman. That was like, we just don't do that, my experiences. But I wanted to do it differently. I was like the woman I wanted to reach out and I wanted to grab hold of the promise of marriage and family. And I wanted those things. I did because I seen that I just I was tired of the cycles. I know what I wanted and I was willing to I was scary, but I was willing to go after it. And I remember having a conversation with PSL. And I was like, basically, I was just like, look, man, I'm afraid to give her my heart, man. Like, I'm just afraid to give her my heart, like all of it. I just don't know about that. And I remember PSL telling me, because I was saying, you know, well, what's going to happen? I said, I'll be hurt, you know. And I remember him telling me, you don't think God can heal you? You don't think he'll protect you? Let's just say you gave your heart and she heard it. Let's just say, you don't think that he'll walk through you, walk with it through you? You don't think that he'll still be there? And I remember this light bulb went off, and I was like, dang, like, you're right. You're right. See, for many of us, it's that same situation. You're, you're afraid to take that step. But what's the worst that can happen? Go ahead, think of it. What's the worst that can happen? God will take care of that. He will. God will take care of that. You don't have to strive. You don't have to feel like you're a burden to God. You don't have to feel like God is giving you scraps. He's giving you leftovers. He's tired of hearing you. He loves you. The will of the Spirit is to thrive. What you're carrying in surviving is actually too heavy for you to carry. You weren't designed. You weren't meant to actually carry that. So what you're doing when you're carrying that, what I'm doing when I'm carrying that, is I'm actually operating in a way that I wasn't intended to operate. What do you think is going to happen if you're using something for a purpose that it wasn't intended for, that PSL says that that's called abuse. Using something for a purpose that it wasn't intended for. You weren't intended to carry the hurt. You weren't intended to guard yourself. You weren't intended to protect yourself. I understand that it got you through. I understand that for a moment, it provided you safety in a difficult situation. I understand that. I understand that it, at one time it was a helper to you. But see, now we're, at a, now we're at a point where we're crossing over. Where we're saying, you know what, okay, that, that was this. But now my experience needs to be faith. Now where I'm trying to step into, I'm tired of this robbing from me. I'm tired of this stealing from me. I'm tired of going through the same situations. I'm tired of getting angry and upset all the time. I'm tired of feeling anxiety. 
I'm tired of it. And just like the, the, the scripture that we read with the lady with the issue, it's time to take hold. It's time to thrive in your promise. See, there's a promise that exists for you. There's actually many promises that exist for you. That's the wonderful thing about our God. But there's a promise that exists for you at this very moment, right now, today, that exists for you. That God is saying, I want you to step into that. I want you to put down your survival, to take the thing that has stopped you from stepping into that thing. Whether it's hurt, whether it's pain, whether it's unforgiveness, whether it's lust. No, it doesn't matter what it is. The Lord is saying today, this Sunday, will you take hold? Will you take hold of my promise? If we can have everybody just stand, please. You know, we sang, good, good father, it's who you are. Just think about that. He's a good, good father. It's who he is. He loves you. Your heavenly father loves you. And he wants you to live a life that is thriving, that is not just surviving, that is thriving, thriving in your relationships, thriving in your walk with him, thriving in your job, your work, your creativity. And today I want to call you to the altar. I want, to, I want to extend an invitation today that says, listen, I seen the lady with the issue of blood. I, I can relate to that. Maybe you've seen some of the stories that I told and, you, and maybe there's one that stood out to you and you're like, yeah, that kind of caused the same thing to me. Today I want to give you an opportunity to connect with the good, good father. To connect, to build up your spirit. To get some healing and begin to thrive. Listen, there's some more. I'm just going to go through these because maybe you're not quite convinced. Maybe you're like me. And I was kind of a hard person to convince. We got some more scriptures back there. I'm going to go through some real quick. Listen to this. Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. So first of all, if you feel like maybe you don't feel good enough to approach the throne and receive what God has for you, let that be squashed right now. Let that be squashed right now. There's no condemnation. God is, have, has open arms ready for you today, ready to heal you no matter how many times you made the same mistake over and over and over again. That's okay. That's okay. There's no condemnation. Listen to this, Romans 8, 9. You, whoever, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. We know that the Spirit of God lives in you. We know that. Listen to this, Romans 8, 13. Look, I'm, I'm just pulling this out of one chapter. We've got a whole book. This is just one chapter. Listen to this. For if you love according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live according to the spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. If you live according to the survival, if you keep on trying to survive, if you keep on trying to just look out for yourself, if you keep on just trying to make it by, you're going to die. You're going to live a life that continually gets worse.
Romans 8 of 16.25, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Or excuse me, Matthew 16.25, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life, for me, will find it. It's all about giving it up. It's all about forfeiting it. It's all about sacrificing it. It's all about saying, listen, I've been, I've been guarding this situation in my life for way too long. And I'm ready to forfeit it. I'm ready to give it up. I'm, I don't know what's going to happen on the other side of that. I don't know exactly. This is fearful. This is scary. I don't even like to think about it. Because this, is, this has caused a, a, a protection for me. This is how I've been able to survive for so long. Maybe somebody doesn't even know about this situation that you carry. It doesn't matter what it is. All that matters is, is that you give it to God. All that matters is you say, you know what, Lord? I trust you. You are a good, good father. You have an abundance. You are there to meet and supply every need. Your will for me is to, is to thrive, is to see a life that is better than I could even possibly have imagined. Romans 8.31, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Well, I hope you've been encouraged by the word of God. And if you have, go ahead and subscribe to our podcast or download our free app at the App Store. And you can continue to get word every week from Elevate Life Church.